On the virtual Bible study tonight, we need a little help. We're trying to find the sinner's prayer in the Bible, and we can't find it. And we're asking our listeners for help on that tonight. And hopefully we'll have some listeners that can show that to us. Uh, we'll look forward to that, and we'll talk about that uh, on the program. And we're going to get started right now. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, Internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 931 one three eight one four five six seven or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com we hope you'll take out your bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of god's word on this edition of the virtual bible study and we welcome you into the virtual bible study for thursday june 7th 2018 thank you for joining us on the program tonight my name is jacob gwynn my father greg gwynn is uh, preaching tonight in indiana and in his place monty takes a spot in the hot seat tonight. Monty, welcome to the Virtual Bible Study. Thank you, Jacob. It's good to be here. Good to be with you. And uh, Kyle's behind the controls, uh, running things smoothly as usual. Kyle, welcome back to the program. It's always good to be here. Glad to have you here. And we're glad that you're listening tonight. And we want to hear from you at 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. You're watching us live on the program tonight. Sign in with other listeners in the chat room, and you can uh, share your thoughts there. We look forward to hearing from you on this topic. Again, we want to talk about the sinner's prayer. And, uh, well, Monty, we've been trying to find it in the Bible, haven't had any luck, and so we've gone uh, to uh, the folks out on the Internet tonight to ask for some assistance. Finding the sinner's prayer in the Bible, you hear it everywhere, uh, and it always sounds about the same. Um you would think that if it's so common and the wording is even so standard that certainly these people are getting this from somewhere in the scriptures, yet um, we're having trouble finding it. You know, Jacob, I'm, in my, where I work, I'm able to listen to the Bible every day at work and uh, put my earbuds in and turn it on and I'm able to go up my work and do it. And I've listened to the Bible all the way through twice this year. And like you say, you would think as common as we hear about it that you would be able to find it in the Bible reasonably regularly, you would think. And I haven't heard it once this year in the Bible. Yeah. No, and and the wording is so so standardized, you would think that, well, they're reading that straight from the Scriptures. You could go find the verse in the, in the yeah. Bible where it's there. For instance, here's how it goes. Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner and that I deserve to go to hell. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. I do now receive him as my Lord and personal Savior. I promise to serve you to the best of my ability. Please save me in Jesus' name. Amen. Something like that. Or you could uh, find something from uh, Billy Graham, maybe, where he he had uh, people do something like that. Um, Basically, I'm asking Jesus into my life, into my heart, and, and ask him to forgive me of my sins and to save me. Over and over again you hear it, but we're having trouble. And surprisingly, our listeners, it's been unanimous, unanimous here in the, the responses we've gotten so far is that our listeners are having the same difficulty we're having as well. Uh, Mohan says in, uh, from Illinois says, no, you cannot find someone praying the sinner's prayer to be saved. So Mohan says you can't find it in the scriptures. Uh, Mohan's done some searching, I'm sure, as well, and study of the scriptures, and he concludes it's not there. Kent in Calhoun, Georgia, says the sinner's prayer is not found in the scriptures and is not a New Testament doctrine. Uh, Stephen is from Georgia as well. He says even those who support the sinner's prayer understand that it is not in the Bible, as is the case for many other things people support, such as creeds, traditions, denominational names, Etc. So Stephen says it's not there, and that people who support the idea admit that it's not there. Johnny has chimed in tonight. Appreciate Johnny for sending his email. He says he had, uh, says I've not found Billy Graham's version. Billy Graham's version of the Center of Prayer. He says, "Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner, and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and life." I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior in your name. 
So uh, Johnny says that's Billy Graham's version. He says, I've not found Billy Graham's version of it in the Bible, nor have I found any other version either. I'm sure there are various versions. I, I think of the sinner's prayer, he's saying. So he says he can't find it in the Bible. But he says, however, not seeing the actual words of the sinner's prayer in the Bible, as illustrated above, does not mean the basic concept is not taught. The concepts are knowing that you're a sinner, asking for forgiveness, having a belief in God and expressing it, turning from your sins, wanting Jesus to be with you as guidance, and trusting Jesus with the desire to follow him. Simply quoting after someone or repeating what someone has instructed you to say is fruitless will not mean anything. Making a statement or reading a script is useless. It has no meaning unless it comes from the heart. Example of baptism. You can be baptized a thousand times. If it is not the heart, you only get wet. Real meaning, however, comes from your heart. Sometimes nothing is verbally said. However, don't take me wrong here. A man's heart can be misguided. You cannot rely on your heart. I'm not saying your heart will be broken. Or I'm saying your heart will be broken when you see your sins. So he says that if you just say this prayer, you don't mean it, it's not going to do any good. We would agree with that. Yeah. If your heart's not in anything, it doesn't do any good. But is the idea of the prayer, the sinner's prayer, Johnny admits it's not in the Bible verbatim, but he thinks the concepts are. We want to talk about that tonight, and hopefully our listeners will uh, sign in and give us some of their thoughts as well on uh, this idea that about the sinner's prayer being in the Bible. He uh, goes on and says the concepts are taught in the Bible. We do not see the actual words grandfather, aunt, uncle in the Bible, but the concepts are there also. The word Bible is not in the Bible. Uh, so he says that um, just because the, con- the, the it's not there, the concepts are. He goes on and references Luke 7. He says, the woman that gave Jesus the box of ointment, she was at Jesus' feet, weeping, washing his feet with her hair. She may or may not have said anything physically, verbally, out loud. However, I strongly believe she was silently praying to Jesus. I'm sure the prayer went along somewhat the lines of what we know as the sinner's prayer. She knew she was a sinner. She wanted Jesus to forgive her. She certainly expresses belief in Jesus. I don't believe this woman went back to her old sinful ways. She trusted Jesus and had a desire to follow him. Basically, she had a problem and and knew Jesus was the answer. We're not told of the entire conversation taking place between her and Jesus. Jesus knew she had lots of sins. Jesus told her her faith had saved her. This is only one example. There are many other examples. Well, um, I, I would tell Johnny that this, there's a lot of supposition on Johnny's part here to, to assume that this woman was praying something along the lines of a sinner's prayer in order to be saved. A lot of supposition there by Johnny. Uh, to conclude that, well, there's your authority for saying a sinner's prayer. Well, and he concludes there and said, this is only one example. There are many other examples. Uh, I wouldn't concede that this, an exam- that this is an example of anybody saying a sinner's prayer in order to receive salvation. Uh, and I don't see any examples. You know, as we mentioned that we don't see this sinner's prayer per se in the New Testament anywhere. But I don't see any example of anybody making any kind of prayer, uh, uh, someone that's not a Christian, in order to be saved, making any kind of prayer to accomplish their salvation. We don't see any example of that in the Scriptures. Now, Donna from Florida has chimed in. Donna, thanks for your email tonight. Donna says she loves the program and to keep up the good work. Thank you, Donna. Donna says uh, Acts 2, verse 21 uh, and Romans 10, verse 13, tell us what we need to, need to do to be saved. But it is my belief that the sinners should pray from their heart using his or her own words. The prayer should not be recited as if saying a Pledge of Allegiance. Many examples exist, but I believe the sinner's prayer is unique to each person. So Donna uh, references a couple verses there in support of the sinner's prayer. Uh, Acts 2, verse 21, Monty, you have that one ready. Oh, you don't. Actually, you... I went to the wrong right. one. Acts 2, 21 uh, says, and it shall come to pass that whoever, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so there's a passage that does reference calling on the name of the Lord. Uh, and then Acts chapter 10, verse, I mean, Romans chapter 10, verse 13 has similar language. Uh, Monty, read says, that. says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord 
shall be saved. Okay. So a couple of verses there that do reference calling on the name of the Lord. We need to talk about that as we get into the discussion tonight. Does calling on the name of the Lord imply a sinner's prayer? Donna seems to think that it does. What are your thoughts about that, Monty? Well, I, I don't understand it to be making a prayer of any sort, actually. When I read this calling on the name of the Lord, uh, that phrase in the name of the Lord has to do with in the authority of the Lord, by his authority. So whatever we're doing here should be done by his authority. And what we read about as far as the plan of salvation goes, we're not authorized. Uh, erring sinner is not authorized to, to pray to God, period. Uh, the Bible teaches us that God doesn't hear sinners' prayers. Okay. He, he's not in so much interested in what we've got to say if we're not a saved person. So the idea here of calling on the name of the Lord is, is basically saying uh, whoever calls on the name of the Lord should be saved. Whoever does what the Lord has told them to do will be saved. Okay. So what does the, the, the phrase calling on the name of the Lord mean? We asked our, list, our listeners that question uh, in the update that we sent out this morning. What does it mean to call on the name of the Lord? To that question, Kent in Calhoun, Georgia, responded, calling on the name of the Lord does not constitute the sinner's prayer. So Kent says calling on the name of the Lord isn't an expression that denotes saying a prayer. But he says Romans 10, verse 13, does not imply that calling on the Lord, uh, does not imply that of calling on the, of the Lord. Such implies that of, of appealing to the authority of the Lord. Acts 2.21, in conjunction with Acts 2.38 and Acts 22.16, demonstrates how one is to appeal to the authority of the Lord. As having confessed, uh, as, as a having confessed believer in Christ, repenting and being baptized for the remission of sins. So Kent would say that this uh, verse, calling on the name of the Lord, implies the idea that you're going to do what the Lord has instructed, follow his instructions. We'll get to that in a little bit more. But on the phone tonight, we have Richard. Richard, uh, welcome to the virtual Bible study. Uh, Richard, are you there? Hello, Richard. Hmm. Let's see. I uh, don't think we have Richard there. Can you check to see if he's still on the line? Okay, we've got a little glitch here. Let's uh, let's. There we go. Richard, are you on the on now? Can you hear us, Richard? Why don't we take a break and we'll get Richard uh, on uh, at, during the break, um, and uh, when we get back we, as well. The Sinner's Prayer. Can you find it in the Bible? Eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Questions at collegeview.com. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back right after this. There's more of the virtual Bible study to come after these important messages. Stay tuned. Computers are good for lots of things, but there's no better way you could be using yours than to participate in the virtual Bible study every Thursday night. Can you think of a better use of your time? Here's some quotes worth pondering. Sin has many tools, but a lie is the handle which fits them all. Nothing as an example. We never do great good or great evil without bringing about more of the same on the part of others. Man, wish I'd said that. See, I told you we'd be back. The virtual Bible study continues. All right, we're back on the program tonight. I think we've got Richard hooked up now. Richard, welcome to the virtual Bible study. Hey, guys. Thanks uh, for having me on. I just, uh, Where are you calling I'm a from, slow Richard? typer. That's good. Oh, I'm calling from Florida. Florida. Thanks. Uh, well, yeah, this is better than typing. Uh, the, the old-fashioned telephone is always better than typing, I think. Yeah, and I'm slow and I can't spell very well, so you guys will have a hard time understanding me anyway. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, uh, what was your comment that you would have typed if you didn't have the phone? Well, my comment was is to Johnny's, like, email and everybody else's. When I talk with people about, you know, the sinner's prayer, well, while we all are sinners, you know, we all fall short, you know, none, none is righteous, no, not one. So, but, but what I like to take the people to is... Saul and Paul, you know, on the road to Damascus, okay. you know, after he had, Jesus appeared to him, you know, he uh, he he went and he was praying for three days. That's right. And you're so referencing Acts any, chapter nine there when uh, he, he yep. saw he saw that he fell to his to the earth. His eye, uh, he 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 was blinded. They had to take him by the hand to Damascus, and he was through there three days without sight, didn't eat uh, in verse nine. So, go ahead. 
Yeah, so so then, anyway, he was the one who was persecuting the Church and, uh, you know, was consenting to these people, you know, to murders, you know, for them being dragged off and put in prison and, and killed. So, but if anybody would have the sinner's prayer, it, it would I would think it would be him. And if so, he was praying for three days, but he was still told what he must do. You know, he must, you know, hear words, what he must do to be saved. So if anybody would have been saved, I would think to say the sinner's prayer, it would have been him, and we would have found out that he was saved, you know, uh, through his prayer. Well, and after Ananias came to him, Richard, after he had been praying for three days, he still had sins that needed to be washed away. In verse 16 of Acts 22, Ananias commanded him, Now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized, notice this, and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So at that point, as you mentioned, Richard, after three days of praying, which would have certainly been... I would think uh, wanting to get his life right with God, he still had sins that needed to be washed away in baptism. Yes, and that's correct. And then if we continue reading on, we we read about Cornelius, and Cornelius was a devout man. He was he was also praying, and and you know the alms and everything went up to God, but he was still told, you know, that he, that he had to uh, you know be saved through water. You know, watch Harry style, you know, and rise and be baptized. Well, you know, I, I'm sorry, I don't have my Bible, but I'm just okay. saying there's. Yeah. There's another person. That's exactly right. An excellent example, Richard. Appreciate you bringing that up. That's in Acts chapter 10, where Cornelius is praying, uh, and and he sees this vision of an angel of God coming to him, and he says, no, he didn't say, hey, you've been praying, and you want to be right with God, everything's good. He said, you need to call for Peter. Uh, he is in Joppa, and he'll come and tell you the things you ought to do, verse 6 of, of, of Acts chapter 10. So, again, an, an excellent example, Richard, of someone who wasn't instructed, hey, just say a prayer. Uh, instead, he had to have a preacher come and tell him what he needed to do in order to be saved. Yeah, and correct. And that actually goes back to what Jesus said as he was, you know, as he's ascending into, into, you know, into heaven. He says, go into the world and preach the gospel. So that collaborates with all that, and then plus it collaborates with uh, Acts chapter 2 when, you know, those people, you know, were pricked in their heart, and they asked, what must we do? And that, you know, that's, that's how it's beautifully woven into God's plan and not the, the way that man has, uh, you know, came up with this way, you know, of the sin, or what is called the sinner's prayer. Yeah. You know, it's amazing. It is amazing, Richard. You referenced a couple of very plain passages there. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, the people wanted to know what they needed to do to be saved. Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. About 13 years ago, I think it was, we had a program, and we just asked the question, if God wanted you to be saved by being baptized, what would he have to say? How could he say it any clearer than that, Richard, that in order to have your sins forgiven, you need to repent and be baptized? You have to work really hard to to get around that simple instruction. Exactly, and then also, too, going back just a little further in John chapter 3, you know, he was told that he must be born again, born of the water. So, you know, then it still goes back. You can't even enter into the kingdom unless you're born of the Spirit and of water. That's right. In John chapter 3, verse 5, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. There's no reference to a sinner's prayer there in that passage. Uh, It just simply can't find it. Yeah, it's exactly important for one to be in the kingdom. uh, We have to be... um, in water, you know, for the remission of our sins to where we arise and walk in newness of life. That's right. So, All right. I appreciate your guys' uh, time and uh, keep up the good work. And I do got a bumper sticker that I'm driving around with here in Florida, hey. so love the show, guys. What, part of, what part of Florida, Richard? Um, actually, I could actually look out my backyard uh, and watch the rockets and shuttle goes up, so on the Cape side. All right. Well, thanks again, Richard, for calling, and appreciate you listening down there in Florida tonight. All right, guys, take care. All right. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com are the ways you participate on the program tonight. Appreciate Richard for calling. The line's open if you'd like to uh, chime in on the discussion tonight. Richard touched on a lot of good points there, Monty, referencing a lot of examples of conversion in the New Testament. Uh, and we don't see anywhere where folks were instructed to pray in order to be saved. Now, we have instructions of people praying before they were saved, Cornelius and Paul, but they weren't saved as a result of those prayers. There were things that they needed to do. 
you know, as, as we've referenced the book of Acts here, and the book of Acts, as we read and study through it, we read about thousands of people being saved, people being added to the church. And not in any case of it was any of them, as far as we can determine, ever told to pray for salvation. They were told to, they had to hear the word, they had to repent, they had to confess Jesus, they had to be baptized, they had to live faithful after that. We can read about all of these things that people were instructed to do in order to receive salvation. But in not a single case of all these thousands of people that were saved in the book of Acts, do we read of anybody told to, that you're going to get there by saying a sinner's prayer? It's a prayer, so to speak. And we're not trying to be ugly. We're not trying to be difficult. But this is a serious subject. We're talking about our soul salvation. And so we want to go to the Scriptures to find out what the Scriptures teach on the subject. Again, the sinner's prayer, we're not finding it in the Scriptures. We want we want to make sure that we're, we're in harmony with God's will for us. We want to be uh, submissive to what he's instructed us to do. He hasn't instructed us, as far as we can see, to say a sinner's prayer. You know, if there, if I need to make a sinner's prayer in order to be saved, I need to know about it and I want to do it. Right. If that's what I've got to do to be pleasing to God, I want to make that prayer. Yeah. But I don't read about that in my New Testament that that's what I'm supposed to do. All right. Now, Donna referenced <laughs> earlier uh, Acts twenty, Acts 2.21 and Romans 10.13. We referenced calling on the name of the Lord. We got started on that before Richard's call. But the idea of calling on the name of the Lord, what does it mean? Uh, and... Stephen, in his email to us, said, Calling on the name of the Lord, when fleshed out in Scripture, is always associated with the act of baptism, as found in Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nation, of nations. This is a good place to pause and ask how. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So they were to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Is that just something you say, or, or is it something else? Look at the Acts, 20, Acts 2, verse 38 we referenced earlier. Repent and let each of you be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Acts 19, verse 5, and when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Acts twenty-two sixteen. and now why do you delay? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. Uh, that's what baptism is for, uh, Stephen adds. Uh, it's how we come in contact with the blood. Notice this in Acts 22, 16, wash away your sins, calling on his name. And in Acts uh, 10, 48, he ordered him to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So the idea that Stephen references here is that calling on the name of the Lord is connected with baptism. Uh, my father's in the chat room from Indiana. He, he references, he says in Acts 22, 16, you see that you're calling on the name of the Lord when you're obedient, including baptism. So... The concept that we're seeing developed here by our listeners is that when you call on the name of the Lord, you're being obedient to his instructions. In fact, that goes along with what we read in Acts in Colossians 3, verse 17. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. You're to do everything you do in the name of the Lord Jesus or calling on the name of the Lord. That means you're to do everything you do in response to his instructions or his authority or his will for you, you're doing it in his name. You know, used to when we would watch cops and robber shows back when I was a kid, you would hear the police officer holler, stop in the name of the law. Were they talking on the shows back then or was it just music that oh, they, 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 they were talking? talking so, all right, okay. This is before the okay. after the silent ones. I okay, guess. all right. But still black and white. Okay, okay. <laughs> Anyhow, you'd hear the police officer holler, stop in the name of the law. And what he was saying that in the name of the law meant that he had the authority of the law behind him to order you to stop and expect you to obey. Yeah. And so when we read about calling on the name of the Lord, that phrase in the name of has to do with if we're doing something in the name of the Lord, we're doing it by his authority. We have commands, authority in the New Testament to do what we're doing, but it's by God's authority or by Jesus' authority. It's not just that we're tacking his name on the end of it and calling it good. Yeah, we're doing it by his authority or following the instructions and commands that he's given. Nikki is in the chat room tonight. Nikki, thank you for your comments. She says, no, you cannot find the sinner's prayer in the Bible, although some people believe that Jesus will save them like he saved the thief on the cross. They haven't been taught that Jesus hadn't died, rose and established his New Testament church along with his earthly ministry. Yeah, it's important that we look at what the instructions are to us, Nikki, as you've referenced. And the instructions to us aren't that you should hang on the cross and ask Jesus to remember you when you, he goes into paradise. 
the instructions for us that Jesus left after he was buried and rose from the dead and before he ascended to heaven. The instructions were what we read in Matthew 28:19 and also Matthew or Mark chapter 16 verse 16 he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved but he that believeth not shall be damned again it's very hard to get around the, the clear instructions there um, that we need uh, to be baptized in order to be saved again Jesus didn't reference a prayer there in Mark 16 verse 16 DR in the chat room says Romans 10 verse 13 sounds like a way to be saved what am I missing well, Romans thirteen verse or Romans chapter ten verse thirteen does talk about being saved, but it says to call on the name of the Lord. It says, "For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved." So we need to understand what does it mean to call upon the name of the Lord. Let's get to that when we get back from the break. Does calling on the name of the Lord again? We need to uh, uh, to, to answer Dr's question again. We need to get a little bit more into this, obviously. Does calling on the name of the Lord just mean that you say the Lord's name? Do we just say Lord? Or does calling on the name of the Lord imply something else? DR suggests it implies something else other than just saying the Lord's name. DR would say that implies that you're going to say a prayer. Well, Romans 10 verse 13 doesn't, is not a prayer. That's not a prayer calling on the name of the Lord. What does it mean? Do you just say the Lord's name? We'll get to that on the other side of the break. We're going to get a bullet point and get back to your thoughts. Again, the line is wide open, toll-free, 877-381-4567. As Richard showed, it is the best way to get your thoughts across. Agree or disagree, we welcome your comments on the phone, 877-381-4567. And when we get back, we'll get your thoughts. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. There's a natural tendency to compare ourselves to those who are around us. The result is a general conformity with in which we live. How we dress, talk, and act are affected to various degrees by what we observe in others. This conformity is not all bad. It makes it possible for us to relate to those within our circle of influence. Paul said that, quote, unto the Jews I became a Jew that I might gain the Jews. I am made all things to all men that I might by all means save some. 1 Corinthians 9 verses 20 and following. A social oddball or misfit will have little ability to influence others in any positive way. A problem arises when we take this comparing and conforming too far. We are warned to, quote, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, Romans 12, verse 2. The danger is that we will begin to imitate the people around us in ways that lead to sinful thoughts and actions. For example, we can talk, dress, and act like those in our society, but only insofar as it does not violate God's law. Stylish clothes are not wrong, but immodest ones are. Using popular phrases and expressions is okay, but not if they convey an evil message. Ultimately, it becomes a matter of authority. What is your standard? How do you determine what is right and wrong? If societal norms constitute your highest authority, then you will be carried along with whatever becomes popular. This will inevitably lead to sinful choices. For instance, the popular culture would have condemned homosexuality 25 years ago. Today, it is widely accepted. The Bible, though, has never changed in its denunciation of this sin. Romans 1, verses 26 and 27. Paul said, quote, We dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 12. Let's be sure that we evaluate our spiritual standing before God, not by the ever-changing popular trends, but by the absolute and unchangeable standard of His Word. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Hi, my name is Mike Holt. My wife and I, we love listening to the Virtual Bible Study. God's Word has the answers. Let's get back to studying it. The Virtual Bible Study rolls along. And we're back on the program tonight. I appreciate you listening, and we want to remind you this program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about us by visiting our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. And if you have any questions about something you've heard or comments, Maybe you agree, maybe you disagree. We'd welcome those at any time. Questions at collegeview.com. And as Richard mentioned in his call, he's uh, got a bumper sticker on his car down there in Florida. You can have one on yours as well if you'd like to help us get the word out. Uh, send us an email with your snail mail address, and we'll be glad to send one to you free of charge. In fact, we'll send you more than one if you have a use for more than one. We've got a stack of them in there we can send you. Again, free of charge. We'd help like and appreciate for you to help us get the word out about the program, the virtual Bible They work, don't they, Monty? They do work. Uh, on more than one occasion, I've had... 
people, uh, I was in a gas station one night and I went in to pay for my gas and, and whatever else I was getting there. And uh, a woman come in, won't know who drove that blue truck out there. And I said, well, I do. And she said, what's this about that virtual Bible study? I see the sticker on the back Diana? of your truck. Uh, I seen a guy in Jackson Hole, Wyoming one time. He, I had to go back to the truck for something, and he was copying that down. Yeah. Uh, in front of a bookstore in Cool Springs. There's been a lots of occasions where I've had people ask me about the virtual Bible study because they read it on the back of my vehicle. There you go. They work. And so if you'd like to help us get the word out, we would appreciate that. Uh, send us an email with your snail mail address. We'll get one into the mail to you right away. Uh, we're talking about the sinner's prayer on the, on the program tonight. DR in the chat room says, Romans 10, verse 13, almost seems like a scripture to argue accepting Jesus into your heart. Um, so, and then DR goes on and says, ah, interesting. So calling on the name of the Lord means to do what he requires of us, whatever that command is. And DR, we would agree with that because we have some options here. If calling on the name of the Lord just means saying the Lord's name, or if it just means what DR suggests, maybe accepting him into our heart, maybe accepting that he is Lord and saying, Jesus, your Lord, Jesus, save me. That sounds awful similar if we take that in interpretation of what calling on the name of the Lord means. If we're to say, well, that just means you say a prayer to Jesus or you just accept Jesus. You say, Jesus, your Lord, just vocalize something that may be already in your heart. Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Jesus said, just saying, Lord, or just saying that you are, you're the Son of God, I believe that. Just saying that doesn't save you. What saves you is if you say you're the Lord and I submit, I obey, I do the will of the Father who's in heaven. You know, he mentioned in uh, Romans chapter ten thirteen that who, where it says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be sh- saved. But if you go back and read the rest of the chapter, uh, let's see, where did I see it a second ago? In verse 3, it says they're ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness. They've not submitted to the righteousness of God. So part of the, in the context here, it's talking about people... It's not just a saying a phrase or a prayer, but it's submitting to the righteousness of God in your life. It talks. It goes down here. Talks about uh, in verse nine. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe with your heart that God has raised from the dead, you'll be saved. So it's going through a process here. And really, as you read through this, uh, in verse fourteen, so how they call on, how shall they call on Him and whom they've not believed, and how shall they believe on Him whom they've not heard? So it's a process. We have to hear. We have to believe we've got to confess Jesus. And other passages, it, it ties this confession with baptism and this belief with baptism. And so it's it's the whole process. Is, I believe that it's saying here in, Acts, in Romans chapter 10, this calling on the name of the Lord is going through this process that we find defined in the scriptures of what we have to do to be saved. Uh, it's not one event, but it's a process we go through. We have to hear, we believe, we repent, we confess, we're baptized, and we live faithful to death. That's calling on the name of the Lord. It's submitting to his authority. It's we're calling upon that authority. We're, mm-hmm. I'm doing this because he told me to do it. Yeah. And I, and why are you, why are you being obedient? Well, that's because he's what he said. Again, Matthew seven twenty one. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven in Luke 6, verse 46, Jesus said, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? So again, in other words, don't just say that you believe in me, but, but do it. be obedient. Don't, and we could maybe paraphrase it, don't just say a prayer saying you want to be saved. Obey me. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 9, talking about Jesus, and being made perfect, he became the author of, of eternal salvation unto all who say a prayer to him, no. Of all who call him Lord, no. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Jesus saves the people who obey him. Not people who just say a prayer, but he are obedient, who submit to him. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 9. And so we think that the scriptures explain what this idea of calling on the name of the Lord is, is that you you look to him for his authority and for his instructions, and you submit yourself to him. You're calling on the name of the Lord when you obey. You know, I believe that's exactly what he's talking about. And like you said, like one of the emailers said, when we ever, 
basically every place that we read about calling on the name of the Lord, it's associated with baptism or it's associated with other acts of obedience like we're talking about in Romans chapter 10 here. So if we're not being obedient to the Lord, then we're not calling on his authority. We're not acting on that, and therefore we're not going to be saved. Why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Why aren't you being obedient? Well, I said the sinner's prayer. I believed I accepted you into my heart. No, Jesus told us what he wanted us to do before he ascended into heaven. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. 16. In Matthew chapter 28, we already referenced this passage on the program tonight, but it worth, is worth uh, being repeated. In Acts 28, verse 19, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Jesus said that he wants people to be baptized and to obey the things that he's commanded them. Preachers today are saying, well, all you need to do is accept Jesus into your heart. Believe, and you'll be saved. Have faith, faith only. But Jesus said, I'm going to save the people who obey me. He's the author of eternal salvation to all those who obey him. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 9. Like we said, if, if we needed to say a sinner's prayer, we want to say it. But show me in the Bible where it says that's what I need to do. If you'll show me that, I'll jump right in the middle of doing it right now. Okay, but nobody's been able to show us that or even show where that principle is taught. But we're seeing where there's lots of other things taught that we're supposed to obey everything that he said. And so that's what we've got to be doing. And when we do that, then we're calling on his authority for that. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. Now, other people will go to Romans Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20 uh, Jesus here is standing at a door, and he's knocking. Now, this sort of sounds like, hey, maybe Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart, and he just wants to come in. He just wants you to accept him into your li- his life, or you and his, him into your life. And, well, the sinner's prayer may be in Revelation 3, verse 20. Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open my voice, or hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Is Revelation chapter 3 verse 20 talking about a sinner's prayer where you just need to open up your the door of your heart, let Jesus into your heart as your personal Savior, say the sinner's prayer, and then you'll be right with God. What do you think, Monty? Well, in Revelation chapter 3 verse 14, it says, And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, and he goes on down through here in chapter 2, Verse 20 is included in what was told to be written to the people of Laodicea, people that were Christians. It's the church at Laodicea. So he's talking to people that were already saved people that were were falling back into sin and not being faithful and telling them how to correct that situation. He's not talking to sinners who's never been Christians. He's talking to people that are Christians how to straighten up. And the answer wasn't just let him into your heart no, because they were lukewarm. They weren't living like they should. And he goes on in verse 18. He says, I'd counsel you to buy gold, me gold, tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed. That the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thy eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. A lot of figurative language here, but he's saying, get busy. Quit being lukewarm and start showing your faith by the way that you live. Start being obedient again. That's right. Mohan in Illinois says uh, it's not talking about initial salvation. It's talking about coming back to God after being lukewarm. Agree with that, Mohan. Thank you for your comments tonight. Kent in Georgia says uh, Revelation 3, verse 20, is not addressed to alien sinners dealing with their salvation from sin. This passage is addressed to members of the church at Laodicea, the members of this lukewarm church, needed to repent of their sins and be restored to the fellowship of Christ. The passage thus deals with the need for fallen brethren to repent of their uh, covenant sins and return to Christ. Such also demonstrates the fallacy and false doctrine of the impossibility of apostasy. Thank you for that, uh, Kent. But as Kent has mentioned here, it's not addressed to the alien sinner. It's addressed to the Christians who are needing the encouragement to step it up a notch, to be more faithful. But even at that, this isn't. Up, uh, just a sinner's prayer for them. Mm-mm. It's for them, uh, Jesus knocking on the door, for them to open the door means that they're going to open up to his authority and they're going to start living like they should. 
you know, it's, this is his effort to say, you're not living right, and I want you to come back. I want you to straighten up, and I want you to be obedient, and and where you can come and, as he says here, and dine with him so you can come be in that relationship with so you can live with him in heaven. That's right. what he's trying to do. He's yeah. getting to straighten up so they can come live with him in heaven. And so he's saying, you've got things you've got to do to straighten up. He didn't mention praying anywhere. He said, basically, when you with the idea of opening the door is I want you to open your door to my teachings and change your life and accommodate yourself to it, not just say a prayer and everything's going to be cool. All right. Uh, Stephen says, Revelation 3, verse 20, is contextually Jesus talking to the church at Laodicea. The church is the saved. They had become worldly and indifferent to Jesus. And we're on the brink of fee and would become unfit for the kingdom unless they placed him back on the throne of their hearts. This is an appropriate word for his church today, but it is not a prescription for how the lost are saved. The reason is simple. Jesus was not speaking to the lost, and he certainly wasn't there. He was speaking to the saved and how they needed to get back right with God. But as we said before, the solution to that wasn't just, well, just accept Jesus into your heart. When you accept Jesus, it means you're going to obey what he said to do. Well, you know, in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 21, right after the one where the verse where he talks about opening the door, he tells us how to do that. He says, To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and came to sit down with my father on his throne. So if we're going to open the door and, be a, and do what he's telling us, we've got to overcome. Well, how did Jesus overcome? By submitting his will to the father, the father told him to do. That's what Jesus did. And so if we're going to overcome or to use this figurative expression, open the door, we're going to submit our will to the Father and be obedient and do what he's told us to do. Eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Kyle, we haven't heard from you tonight. Any thoughts uh, on that side of things? Which it's plainly say it's I think we made it very plain that uh, baptism following the what we call the plan of salvation, it's it's plainly taught in the New Testament. So it's just uh, I really feel if anybody who has been, who's listening, who has been, this, done the sinner's prayer, I really wish they would read their Bibles and read the conversion accounts throughout the New Testament and just apply that. If they have followed that, and if they haven't, then they need, they need to reconsider and try to write themselves. They really do. Along those lines, my father in the chat room is signing in from Indiana tonight. He said, did the Ethiopian eunuch call on the name of the Lord? Did the Philippian jailer? Did Cornelius? Yes, yes, and yes. But that phrase is not found in their conversion accounts. But in every conversion account, we read about people obeying, and that includes baptism. Uh, and so certainly we believe that calling on the name of the Lord is the way that we're saved, but you do that by calling on his authority, by submitting to his will. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? Luke six forty six. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Matthew 7, verse 21. And uh, Jesus became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 9. We could go on and on with the passages that tell us that we've got to be obedient in order to be saved. It's not just uh, asking Jesus into your heart, not just saying a prayer. And when we get back then, we've got to ask the question, where did this idea of the sinner's prayer originate? And you might be surprised. It's younger than you think. It's certainly not 2,000 years old. It did not uh, originate with the first century church, it uh, has a very recent origin, and we'll talk about that when we get back. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study will continue right after this. Got a question about something you've heard on the Virtual Bible Study? Send your questions to questions at collegeview.com. We'll be right back after this. Hi, my name is Mike Johnson. I'm a member here at the College View Church of Christ. Have you ever heard someone say that the members of the Church of Christ are too legalistic? Generally, people say this when they're careful to follow all the commands that God has given us. When we say, God says we must do this, or God doesn't command us to do that, people respond with, the members of the Church of Christ are too legalistic. Well, while it may be impossible to know exactly what people mean when they make this accusation, if they are accusing us of being legalistic because we say that we should follow all the instructions that God has given us, then that accusation is correct. But let me ask you this. Which of the commands that God has given us should we ignore? Can we pick and choose which commands we follow, or must we follow them all? Jesus said we have to follow all the commands of God when he said in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? We want to call Jesus our Lord, so we try to follow all the commandments that he has given us. 
we don't in any way think that following God's commands earns our salvation, but we do think it is necessary to be pleasing to Him. Here at the College View Church of Christ, we're trying to follow every command that God has given us. If, as a result, some people call us legalistic, then so be it. We think it's what God calls being righteous. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. A recent Pew Research survey found that most Americans who attend religious services weekly are worried, 76%, about a personal health crisis. But Americans with low levels of religious commitment, measured by weekly church attendance, daily prayer, and so forth, are even more likely to worry about their health, 85%. That information is via Christianity Today. The Word of God says in 1 Timothy 4, verse 8, For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Now that you've had your break, it's back to the program. And we're back on the program tonight as we talk about uh, the sinner's prayer, asking where is it in the Bible, and we simply have had trouble finding that uh, from the Scriptures. Uh, DR says uh, Acts 22:16 and Matthew 20, 7:21 clear it up. Thanks. Thank you, DR, uh, for that and for studying with us tonight. Uh, where did it come from? Where did the sinner's prayer originate? Uh, Mohan in Illinois says, The sinner's prayer originated from man and ultimately from Satan who wants to give false assurance of salvation to people. Well, if it's not in the scriptures, if we don't read about it in the scriptures, then certainly it was invented by men. And Kent in uh, Georgia says, The doctrine of the sinner's prayer originated during the 16th century in Europe among the Protestant Reformation. The Anabaptist, in particular, formulated the process of praying for salvation as an overreaction to Roman Catholic uh, ceremonialism. The denominations with a Calvinistic background modified this heresy to fit into the mourner's bench system. In the 1920s, the sinner's prayer was further modified by the fundamentalist movement to fit into what now is known as salvation by quick prayerism. And so Kent gives us a little history there of where this came about. Where did it originate? Uh, Stephen says a Google search reveals that the sinner's prayer came about in the 1950s and 60s as a result of TV evangelism. It was realized that there was a need for a point of contact, which back then usually resulted in on the listener's hands being placed on the TV set and a prayer being repeated by the viewer. This filled the gap that was perceived and did not conflict with the modern-day faith-only doctrine. And, and so Stephen references a time when it became very popular back in the days of folks like Billy Graham, who used this approach extensively, that to, you, to be saved, you just needed to say a prayer. But again, it's not found in the Scriptures, and it's a relatively new invention uh, that people have be, have really bought into that uh, to be saved, you just need to say a prayer, and we don't find anything uh, along the lines in the in the scriptures. Now, this is Imani, such an important topic, our salvation. You think the scriptures, if saying a prayer was required, you think there would be a very direct instructions along those lines, and it wouldn't even be something to, um, as ambiguous as just call on the name of the Lord, as if I'm to the left to interpret that means I need to say a prayer. What do I say in that prayer? How do how do I who do I address it to? We see Billy Graham addressing the prayer to Jesus, others addressing it to the Father. There's no instructions on that in the scriptures. This is an important topic. Why wouldn't the scriptures have something concrete that say, "Oh, I need to say th- this prayer in order to be saved." You know, you you would think you would when we see people being saved, especially as we talk about in the book of Acts. Uh, we see people being told what they need to do, and we see them doing it. In no case was anybody told to make a prayer in order to accomplish salvation. What we see is people, they heard the word, they believed it. We hear, we see them repenting, confessing Jesus, and we see them being baptized. That's what we see for people to accomplish their salvation. That's what, the, that's what God has laid out that we're supposed to do to be saved. But it never mentions any place that a sinner was told to pray. Okay. You know, we you would think, even though not in every case does it that we read of all the things necessary to be saved, but you would think even if it didn't specifically say it, we'd see an example of it. Yeah. You know, when when they're told that they need to 
that they're lost and and they're trying to find out what we'd think we would find out and see here well here's somebody saying you know we've had that example of where they prayed in order to accomplish salvation but we don't see that anywhere it's not a command it's not an example it's not even implied we talk about the ways we establish authority through command example or a necessary inference we don't see it an implication or an inference anywhere that anybody prayed in order to to be saved so Short of that, I just don't see how we could possibly come up with the notion that praying is going to fix it for us. All right. Now, to our update list uh, earlier today, I asked the question, it seems to me that there's a contradiction. Is there any contradiction in believing we're saved by faith alone after we say the sinner's prayer? You know, these ideas that people say, oh, you can't be baptized because <clears throat> we're saved by faith, and being baptized means you're saved by works, and uh, you're, you're somehow trusting in your own uh, works in order to be saved. You're saved by faith only after you say the sinner's prayer. Is there any contradiction in that? Well, it sure seems that way to me, Monty. Well, it seems that way to me because they keep saying, well, you can't be saved by works. Well, making a prayer and saying a prayer is a something certain I'm amount doing. of work. It's something, it's I'm, something doing. I'm doing. Mohan in Illinois says, indeed, there is a contradiction. If you have to pray the sinner's prayer in addition to believing, that is not faith alone. Also, the mainstream evangelical community contradict themselves if they say you have to repent and confess in addition to belief and say that we're saved by faith alone. Uh, Amen to that, Mohan. There certainly are numerous contradictions. In fact, we're not saved by faith alone. Uh, We can read about that in James chapter 2, where it tells us explicitly we're not uh, justified by faith only. In James chapter 2, verse 24, you see how then that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. So the denominations of the world want to tell you, tell you today, all you got to do is believe, and maybe in parentheses, and repent and confess and say a sinner's prayer, which is not consistent with their idea that all you have to do is believe. But nonetheless, the scriptures tell us that belief alone is not enough, as we reference in Matthew seven twenty one and Luke 6, verse 46. And we've mentioned often before, the only place in the Bible where the words faith and only are together is in the passage you read in James, and it's not by faith only. All right. Uh, it's Kent in Georgia says there is a definite logical contradiction between the false doctrines of faith alone salvation and the sinner's prayer. If one is saved by faith alone, then one is not saved by praying the sinner's prayer. If one is saved by the sinner's prayer, then one is not saved by faith alone. According to the scriptures, both are false doctrines. Thank you for that, Kent. And then uh, Stephen, he says, when Martin Luther expressed his views of solo fide, fide uh, commonly referred to as faith only, he included baptism as an integral part of the doctrine. His personal notes, sermons, small catechism, and large catechism all testify to this truth. It was later that the Anabaptists hijacked his teachings and corrupted them to exclude baptism. The one and only place that the phrase faith only is found in the Bible is James 2.24. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. The question to be answered is, by what kind of works? Not by works of the law, nor works of man, meritorious deeds, uh, mitzvahs, but by works of God. And so uh, Stephen agrees that there is some contradiction. Um, All right. DR in the chat room references John chapter 3, verse 3, and that is uh, the story of Nicodemus wanting to know uh, what he needed to do in order to be saved. Jesus answered and said to him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Again, uh, another instruction there to be born again. And in verse 5 of John chapter 3, he tells us how to be born again, to be born of water and of the Spirit. We could reference a couple other passages to help us understand what um, this means, being born of water and the Spirit. Reference Titus chapter 3, verse 5, and Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26, that tell us uh, how to be born of the water and Spirit. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26. Ephesians 5, verse 26 says that, um, you have it there, Monty? Ephesians 5, 26 says that he might sanctify and cleanse her, with the washing of water by the word. That's right. And so we are sanctified or saved by the washing of water by the word. The word obviously directed by the spirit. So we're being born of water and the spirit. And Titus chapter 3 verse 5, how we've been saved. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. By the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Being born of water and the spirit there. 
we believe, is referenced in Titus chapter 3, verse 5. All right, uh, 877-381-4567. Uh, and to the final question for us tonight, and this is something we really got to stop and consider. What does the prevalence of the sinner's prayer and the uniformity of its form and wording tell us or teach us about the need for Bible authority in all we do? You know, Monty, it's scary. This idea that we've shown tonight that has no founding in the scriptures, can't find a reference to the sinner's prayer in the scriptures, is so prevalent in the world today, and the wording is so similar, and everyone has accepted that, yeah, you need to say a sinner's prayer in order to be saved. That ought to scare the daylights out of us. That we have to go back to the scriptures and make sure that everything that we're believing and practicing isn't just what's being told to us, not just what's being fed to us, but that's, I can go to the scriptures and say, yes, this is what God told me to do. This is what God wants from me. This is God's will for me, and I'm going to submit to that, not to what I've heard repeated so much that I assume that it's in the Bible. But I've got to go back to the scriptures and, and make sure that this is actually what God wants me to do. You know, in Second John verse 9, it says, Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. So, if we're going to have God and, 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 and Jesus, we've got to be inside the doctrine of Christ. That abide in has to do with living in. We've got to pattern our life after this doctrine of Christ. Well, what is the doctrine of Christ we read about in the New Testament? The apostles taught it to us. Jesus taught it to us. So we read about the New Testament. If we're talking about something like this sinner's prayer that we can't read about in the New Testament, then we've not stayed inside the doctrine of Christ. We've gone outside what the Bible says and we're binding some teaching or, or making some practice. Uh, and because we've done that, we don't have God. We don't have the Son. We're away from that. We're lost. If we're, if we're teaching a sinner's prayer of salvation, we don't read about it in the New Testament. We're not inside the doctrine of Christ. We're a lost person. Uh, certainly so. Galatians uh, chapter 1, verse 9, it, as we said before, so now say, and now again, if any man preach any other gospel to you than what you've received, let him be accursed. There's a lot of false doctrine out there. We've got to make sure that we go back to the scriptures. You know, Second John verse 10, you know, he's talking about not being the doctor of Christ. Uh, he says, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him in your house or greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. So it's, he's going so far as to say, if somebody's teaching something that's outside the doctrine of Christ, don't have anything to do with them because you don't want to be associated with them. Yeah. This sinner's prayer is outside the doctrine of Christ. We don't want to have any associated we with We need it. to be like those in Berea in Acts 17, verse 11. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. The Bereans were not just buying everything they were fed. They went back to the scriptures and said, does this, yeah. does this harmonize with what God has said? And if it did, they accepted it. But if it didn't, they would reject it. And that needs to be our position as well. Kent in Georgia says, The wording of the sinner's prayer indicates that such is not New Testament doctrine. If one is to be saved from sin, one must know, understand, believe, and obey what the New Testament of Christ authorizes. And Stephen says, If we do uh, what is not founded, in, founded, founded on the Scriptures, then we fall into the dangerous place described in John in Second John, verse 9, anyone who goes too far, as you mentioned, Monty, or as the King James Version says, transgresses and does not abide in the teaching or the doctrine of Christ, does not have God. One who abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If any man speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. And so Stephen agrees that we've got to make sure we're going back to the Scriptures to verify all that we've been taught, all that we believe, and what we practice in order to make sure that it is truly in harmony with God's will, because there are a lot of false teachers out there. And the only way to identify a false teacher is to compare him to the true standard of God's word and make sure that it harmonizes. And that's all we have is the standard of God's word to go by. Yeah. All right. Kyle, closing thoughts tonight from you? Uh, which I just think, make sure we read our Bibles. I think uh, we have a, on our website, we have a good Bible reading plan. Make sure we're just, if you... Uh, don't just listen to the whatever's taught for the pulpit on Sunday. Don't let that be your only, you know, uh, reception of God's word. You need to make sure that you are searching the scriptures every day and making sure that you are applying it to your life. And it's just uh, making sure we're doing that and striving for that. All right. Uh, perhaps some listening tonight uh, have questions, uh, maybe agree, maybe disagree, or would like some further information for some further study. We'd, we'd love to hear from you at any time. 
send us an email to questions at collegeview.com, and we can continue the discussion we've had tonight. Monty, appreciate uh, your help on the program and your comments tonight. Thank you, Jacob. I've enjoyed being here. Appreciate you being on the other end of the line. I hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.